0: Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis, and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and bullseye remote gaming server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. This podcast is brought to you by Casino, the leading Bitcoin-led casino operator that has an expansive quality casino product featuring close to 3000 games, including slots, table games, and live dealer casinos from some of the industry's leading suppliers. Head over to bitcasino.io to find your favorite games. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. All right, this is Stig, how's it going?
1: Everything is perfectly fine. How are you doing, Pierre?
0: Um. Very well, thank you, uh, this uh, This is the the, the third time Sasharim to start this podcast, and not only that, but we've we've been trying to get uh, a date to do this podcast for a long time. There's been back and forth, but now we are live. We are here, and and now we go. How's it going? How's the how's the Easter so far?
1: So far, it's going well. Uh, I just finished off uh, baking a beautiful cake that I'm gonna serve tomorrow. So um, off to a good start with the Easter. Oh, and thank you so much for finally having me here on the podcast as well.
0: Yes, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure, Lisa. And, and um, uh, you know, we, like you said, we, this is the second take of this podcast. We've had a little software uh, issue here before, but uh, we were saying before that, uh, uh, you know, we've been we've been knowing each other. We've we known each other for, for quite some time in, in, in general and obviously been being, being following each other through the years here in uh, Malta. Um, but uh, there's also another reason that uh, kind of we're here today and, and uh, something else that kind of uh, the reason that we uh, we know each other, which is the fact that obviously we both started our podcast in the at the beginning of this pandemic. Um, and I'd love for you to kind of start off by kind of introducing uh, yourself and, and kind of uh, what your podcast is about so, uh, a little bit. So feel free.
1: Yeah, um, sure. So my name is Disa Stig. Uh, I'm a 25-year-old Swedish girl, uh, been living in Malta for seven years. I always say six, seven years because I can't keep track on time anymore. (laughs) And uh, I, as you said, I launched my podcast or my YouTube concept more or less um, during the start of the pandemic. And it's called Casino by Her. And I purely wanted to focus on highlighting eye gaming profiles, and um, not really focusing on, um, I don't know, business strategies or going very hardcore on the pure business uh, that they're representing, but more of who they are, to give different people a different, um, I don't know, approach and uh, some time online to really tell who they are in this industry. So that is the core of um, casino by her to uh, yeah. highlight Hi. yeah
0: yeah that's uh, it's awesome and I've been following this podcast as well now obviously since the pandemic started and uh, you know I'm, I'm a big podcast fan myself and uh, and I will really appreciate the kind of um you you're bringing these figures to light because it's not always the um, the most high-profile people, let's say, that you, you bring to light. But I think if there's anything uh, that this pandemic has uh, brought out in a positive light from the agamy industry is the fact that, um, like you and, and others, are giving uh, this uh, really great platform uh, to highlight the uh, the talent that we, uh, we have within this industry. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what have you kind of learned uh, through the episodes that you've done so far and and uh, can you talk a little bit about the guests that you've had on them and and so on and so forth
1: yeah sure um so i'm gonna start off by saying that one thing that i recognize that everyone has in common um besides that they did not believe they were going to end up in iGaming from the first place um they all say that they wish that someone um were there for them in the beginning you know to tell them you know how How they're going to proceed, what it's all about, and there was so limited resources and help to get in the beginning to you know for them to take their career to the next level. So that is really beautiful for me to have this uh, to you know release this podcast series or episodes, so they can be that person for someone else. That is something that I realized really quickly that everybody felt that they didn't have someone. Um, support them throughout their career.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's fantastic, you know. And and, and even I'm, I, I would assume even for you as a host, you know, uh, and an aspiring professional uh, as you are as well, um, uh, you know, having these people on and, and picking their brain and learning from them, you know, I'm just the uh, same for my own kind of adventure here uh, throughout the episodes that I've done through the podcast. It's been an absolutely absolute revolution for me. Uh, in my personal journey, uh, to be able to sit with uh, with these people and just uh, pick their brains, right? Like, that's also something that must be uh, fantastic for you as well, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I for example, I interviewed um, a man called Henny Blau. Um, I mean, we were never in the same circles. I know he's from. Um, so he used to work for Yggdrasil for many years, uh, gaming supplier background, a super talented man, very humble. I love to do the interview with him. And... Uh, I mean, I didn't know anything really about how game production from, uh, you know, from an idea to the actual finished game on any of the operator's sites. So he guided me through that whole process. And um, Chloe Borch, another beautiful, talented woman, uh, she used to be actually my coach or my trainer at Evolution Gaming way back in time. So uh, we exchanged a lot of, you know, information and uh, career devices and so on. So it's been very rewarding to speak to these people.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, talking about evolution uh, in general, you know, something that fascinates me uh, about you, uh, you know, at the the tender age of, of, of 25, I mean, you've gone from being a live dealer just a couple of years ago to a cco of a respected uh, company NetValue uh, value media and, and this to me uh, signifies what is so amazing with the gaming industry because i think that most people who enter this industry tend to enter it from a quite junior position um, and even the people you see in the C-level positions have started from fairly junior positions and kind of worked their way up. It's kind of like, you have to walk through the fire a bit in this industry to get somewhere. Some people manage it, some people don't, and some people are happy where they are, you know? And mm. that's totally okay. But can you talk about talk about your, your journey, you know, as a, starting as Live Dealer, and how did you end up working your way up to the to CCO of, of a respected organization? What's the secret there?
1: Oh God, it's secret. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> dedication <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: no but I mean when I came to Malta I, uh, I had no idea what gaming was uh, I was not familiar with uh, any anything related to gaming or casino whatsoever and uh, I got this job as a live dealer for Evolution Gaming and uh, I didn't even apply for the job at the beginning I don't know if I told you the story even
0: no tell me um,
1: so I was here on vacation right and um okay. The ex-boyfriend of mine, he really felt like, okay, let's get out of Sweden. We need to, you know, something needs to happen in our life. We need to do something. So we were here on vacation, and he found this job. Uh, They were seeking live dealers at Evolution Gaming. So he applied behind my back, and uh,
0: (laughs) hence, why his ex-boyfriend, maybe
1: (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah, goodbye. No, (laughs) no joke aside. But (laughs) but so they called me, and I was uh, sipping my I don't know pina colada. Uh, I was staying in Valletta at Excelsior by the time and um, Sarah called me and said hi you know we're I love your resume and I think that you'll be a great fit can you come for an interview I was like what are you talking about what interview I mean no no I think you called you must call the wrong person I never applied for a job it's like yeah yeah but I have your application here and I felt so bad because I didn't know what she was talking about so I just felt like I have to go to this interview no matter what, regardless, if I want a job or, you know, what I'm going to speak about, etc. So I went and they called me the same afternoon and asked me if I wanted a job. So that's how I started. Oh, wow. uh, I just went back, got my bags, came back to Malta and started my job as a live leader.
0: So this happened from one day to the other, literally?
1: Yeah, yeah the same afternoon. <laughs> yeah, same afternoon. And uh, I mean, it was crazy. I called, I remember I called my parents and I said, you know what, I'm going to move to Malta, I'm going to take this job. And they're like, are you crazy? Like, yes. what are you talking about? This is nuts. But so that's how I started as a live dealer. <laughs> and uh, I kept doing that for a while and realized uh, that it was not so unfamiliar with what I had been doing in the past, you know, dealing with people. I come from a restaurant industry, um, used to do a lot of PR, marketing, um, sales. So I could find some similarities in that role when I worked for Evolution Gaming as a live dealer, representing various operators online. So it was kind of a natural step, even though it was a completely different industry. And um, after a while, I wanted to evolve and uh, decided to let's be a daredevil here and see if I can get a chance as an affiliate manager, which was, as you say, like a huge step, just from live dealer to affiliate manager got denied a few jobs um i went for an interview with tobias regnestan for example
0: yes to be a shout out yeah 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 our old friend
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know if you remember this interview but i do um it wasn't it wasn't one of my best moments for sure no no not really but eventually i landed a job as an affiliate manager and uh, from then it just really took off Mm. so um from live dealer to affiliate manager. Then I got the chance to be part of a startup as head of affiliates, head of acquisition. And uh, then uh, Frederick Javidi, who's running Netflix Media with me, um, reached out and said that he'd been following my journey for some time and asked me if he wanted to join as their CCO.
0: How was, how was that to get the offer as, uh, to start as CCO for, for that organization? I mean, it was a big step up.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, to be honest, I believe that every step I've been taking so far has been like the most scariest part uh, of my life. But uh, when he asked me, I just said that I have nothing to lose, right? Uh, I already kind of proven myself over the years that I've, I've been able to take big steps, um, have a lot to learn still, um, but I I feel comfortable and uh, I. I believe at the end of the day, if you just work hard, you're going to be able to manage, to sort yeah. any problems on the way. And if you don't, okay, then you don't. And yeah. uh, it's not the end of the world.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think that's a brilliant mindset in general. So, 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 Disa, uh, how long did it take for you to accept that position with Zara at Evolution un- until you got this position as uh, at NetValue Media, Net Media?
1: So that would be, uh, I would say... Five and a half years in between. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, you know, it's it seems to me that uh, you know you you come across as a very strong, confident uh, person in general. You know, and, and there are some people who who gets frightened by by the prospect of of uh, taking this big step up, so they kind of they don't do it. They, maybe they feel comfortable in their position and and um, they end up staying there maybe longer than they uh then they then they should uh, if they if they are um if they are talented and they want to move on and, and then there are some people who who just faces these challenges head on uh, you know would you, would you say that does it come down to just like mental toughness i mean you're a fighter as well uh you know you do difficult things is this like part of your part of like an excitement that you have to just like do difficult things or uh, you must be nervous stepping into net money media the first day i mean
1: Of course, I mean, I don't want to come across as like I'm this super hardcore woman who's never frightened or never terrified or, uh, I mean, there's so many days where I'm feeling like, what the hell am I doing? Sorry for uh, cursing in the podcast, but, you know, it's, that will be a lie. Um, It took me a really long time to, um, first of all, move along from like, don't even dare to apply um, for affiliate manager. Because I was just constantly looking at. I need to do something else. I feel like I have the aspirations to do something else, the ambition, um, the knowledge. But when you start looking at the, you know, who do they search for? What are they looking for? Um, you don't tick tick all the boxes, and you will never you will never do that most probably. But if you tick off, let's say, the majority of the boxes, there is no reason not to try. Um, but it took me a really long time to do that. And once I took the first step and I gained some confidence, I believe that you just you're just gonna go with it. It's just to take that first step. Then you're gonna feel like you're fine. That you're gonna get some leverage and confidence.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, th- there would be a lot of other live dealers in your situation. There, for example, at uh, Evolution Gaming, who could uh, who could also apply for uh, for positions like uh, like uh, affiliate managers you know and and maybe not maybe sometimes a lot of people they underestimate their own capabilities so they would they would be a live deal and they would say oh you know i am not suited for being affiliate manager or people in that position they have more experience than me or uh, there's more people that are better suited than me um so therefore maybe they they don't end up applying but but in your case you know you you knew that you didn't have that experience. Uh, you knew that you didn't have like a similar um, experience in your resume or or, or whatnot. But uh, but still, you decided like, yeah, let's give it a go. Because in the end of the day, what do you have to lose, right?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. And I think that the the longer you work within iGaming, gaming, you you really realize that this is very for like you know for given industry, you don't need to. Um, have years and years at university. I mean, you can work your way up. I mean, there's really no other industry, especially not in Sweden, where we come from. We can do that. Um, and you realize that also the people that you speak so highly about or that you already put in a, on a pedestal, they don't even take all those boxes. And they still ended up having that job that you maybe want to have one day. So you just need to... Um, Come down and look at what am I great at? what is my strengths here, and what can I actually offer and why shouldn't they want those great skills at their company?
0: yeah exactly i mean and and I mean you you have a lot better confidence than, than what I had for example when 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 I was um, going through that part of my career i mean i was um, uh, I was a VIP manager at at betson uh, when I moved to Malta like ten years ago and and um I used to look at my managers and this the C suite and the top managers in the company as like these people have something that I don't, they are like special in some way. Uh there's something they are tapped into and you know, they started reading about how to become a CEO when they were six years old and they were always meant to be that or whatever. Um that's that's how how my mind was working at that time. And I think a lot of people are walking around with that mindset. But um the biggest learning I had in my career, I think, is that when um, I started eventually working with sea levels, or uh, I started to uh, to have meetings with them, and so on and so forth, you realize that they there is nothing special with them. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, with all due respect, but there is nothing special with with most sea uh, levels, and and that type of position is very attainable if you just put your mind to it, right?
1: Yeah. And I think you just you said something really interesting there Uh, when you come across that there's nothing special with them. Um, I mean, let's say I'm a sea level now. Um, I have friends that are not on a sea level. They don't look at me in a different manner, right? Because they know me. So I think that we need to stop putting people on pedestals and being, having this, living this fantasy world where. We give them the authority to be, to be that powerful in a scary way. Mm.
0: Cause, exactly.
1: Because yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and um, then you can look at it like reversing the roles as well. I think uh, you know I, I, I'm close friends with, uh, with some sea levels uh, these days, and, and we talk a lot about this. You know, how did how did you end up in this position? Uh, and um a lot of people are walking around with uh, imposter syndrome a, i mean a lot of people most people i think in that uh, say where they basically are questioning themselves uh, and and um, and convincing themselves that you know I, I shouldn't be here you know like i'm i'm not competent enough to be in this position there's yeah. a lot of insecurities you know that they're walking around with and and, and um you know that that's also that can lead sometimes to uh, like bad trades in managers where they like they feel insecure and they they don't want to promote their, the people below them that they see talented for example um but i think that's 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 more on, on um, uh, that's not so common um, but but more common is is just the fact that like most c levels that you look at and they they look very confident from the outside in reality they are walking around questioning themselves or not sure, if, like what made me into this position and, and and whatnot, and that just solidifies this fact to me that um, the step from you know from being an affiliate manager to actually becoming uh, a C level uh, is not uh, that big of a step as most people might think.
1: No, I mean obviously I mean, it may take years to gain knowledge and um, network. Network is key, um, but I. It is not that big of a step if that is something you want. And if you want to be, I mean, if you want to manage other people as well on a C-level, you just bring all this positivity knowing that, okay, so this manager didn't treat me right. This uh, CEO, were not the best at this company. How can I change that? Mm -hmm. Who do I want to be for my employees? And there's your strength when you move up and managing Mm -hmm. a team or a company.
0: Exactly, you know, and, and you know, if you are a talented individual, which which you clearly are uh, as well, this, uh, when when you get yourself a couple of wins in an organization, you know, uh, in your case, uh, as the live dealer revolution, uh, you know, I remember clearly when when you took the prize uh, at um, Agami Idol as the live dealer of the year, you know, uh, I, I, you know, that, that's a that's a win, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like. Wow, like I, I I can do great uh, here, and then you have a couple of other wins, and you 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 really build up that confidence to uh, to uh, to just learn that you can do you can do anything. C- can you talk a little bit about like the iGaming Idol in general, your experience there when you when you won the when you won that prize?
1: Yeah, of course. So we can start by saying you know when we knew this iGaming Idol was going to happen, you know. Um, the whole company was going mad. Like, okay, now we need to perform super good. And, you know, wow. you had all eyes on you. And it was, you know, a talk of the town, so to speak, at the company. And um, when I got the... I think my, two of my managers nominated me for I Give Idol. And um, yeah, I received a notification email, you know, just a text that they sent in. And uh, I was so flattered just knowing that, you know, I come from... I didn't come from iGaming. I just worked there for a year or something, and it was like a you know stamp that okay, I'm doing something. I've been doing something good for this company. And uh, during the um, the whole process with the you know being in front of the jury and uh, then ending up winning uh, the first edition of iGaming Idol gave me a huge um, confidence boost because I believe that I achieved something. I, I came from nothing, and then. I became someone over, you know, over the night, or that was my night. Mm-hmm. So that was a, it was a great, really great experience. And uh, I think, I mean, I, th- I really believe until today that that was a huge part of why I landed a job as affiliate manager, because they, you know, someone kind of vouched for me, okay, so she won this, it has gotta be something, you know, she can probably contribute with something, even though she doesn't have this and this experience. But if the industry recognizing this person on Malta to be someone, Probably we should give her a chance.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and, you know, I think that's a big part of why we put that show on in the first place as well. Is the fact that we are able to kind of recognize the talent uh, in the industry, but also to uh, to aspire people to uh, to feel that they can work towards something uh, like a recognition like that. Because I'm sure that like your colleagues see you winning, and they are like uh, like, they're they want to kind of increase the level to be able to do the same. You know. Yeah, um, and I think another great example was like the year after there was uh, Laston Marzuk who won, I uh, Idol as well as the affiliate. Oh, he won the Manager of the Year at that time, and uh, and he also he started as affiliate manager as well in the industry, and he went from affiliate manager uh, at um, I can't remember the the company Redbet uh, to becoming the CEO of Common Group, which was at that time valued at a. A, like a billion euro <laughs> uh, yeah, that's in surprising. in six years. Well, I mean, it's incredible, right? I mean, I I, I just I, again, I just I don't want to like repeat myself too much in it, but but I, I love the industry for that reason. And and it's not that Lassen that there's like a lack of talent in industry, or whatever. Like, yeah, uh, you obviously very talented, the hardworking person. Thank uh, you. So is Lassen, you know, one of my best friends. Uh, and and uh, when he became the CEO, I was like you know, even though he, he doesn't have the experience perhaps, but there are some people who will go into these positions and they'll they'll just figure it out, you know. They'll work hard, they're committed, and they'll figure it out. And with if you have that mindset, you're always going to be successful, I think.
1: But I think we also need to think about how the industry are built in this way. I mean, as we said, in if you apply for a job in Sweden, for example, they're going to look at your resume and say, okay, so you have a lack of... Uh, this and this time at uni or you you know they're gonna look at flaws rather than see the person the Mm -hmm. people who built the iGaming industry in Malta are proper doers you know who came from they didn't have the experience when they wanted to set up the first casinos or the gaming suppliers or anything in Malta they built everything from scratch so they know that anything is possible and I think that kind of mindset with these leaders from the beginning have kind of inspired them to be better for the people that they hire and also recognize that, okay, I see this as a talent. I know that that person don't have this, this and this, but I'm pretty sure this person will be a great fit in the future. So I think we have to thank a lot of beautiful men and women out there as well for setting this up for us.
0: Uh, ex- exactly we you know we, we're standing on the shoulders of giants right that's the, the, the that's the thing like we, we, we we often talk about um in our organization that, you know there's been in in the, the legacy of the a industry is not always the prettiest as well we we, we come with a, a baggage of prog- problems as well but we still have to recognize the uh, the pontus Lindwalds of these worlds and the others uh, who set up net and bets on these organizations uh, that um uh, that allowed us then to kind of go on our own little journeys uh, in, in in this industry, and you know, do you close the thought on, on this as well? Is um, you know, compare the gaming industry to like um, you know, we are a young, dynamic industry as well because we have to figure things out. You know, I mean, there's there's no track record in in the for the last hundred fifty years you know how do you build a, a successful operator because the landscape is constantly changing in the industry uh, right and and we have to change with it so there is no manual and how to study to become a great ceo of a of, of an argument operator it has to come from experience right and if you look like compared to like the banking industry or whatever you know you you wouldn't go from the uh from like the bank teller in the uh, in the shop uh, whatever to become the ceo of the bank in six years you know that's a legacy industry um which is very conservative and uh, you know you have to accumulate this uh, like uh, how do you work within how do you become a cog in a wheel in this like big uh, in this big machine to like fit into this uh, organization that run the same way it, as it's run forever and it's not going to change and you are not there to change you're just there to maintain kind of thing yeah, uh, and, uh, and that's what's beautiful in the in the industry.
1: No, 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 you're, you're completely right, <laughs> and that's what makes our industry so amazing, as you said, yes. and uh, innovative.
0: Yes, what a love story it is today! I must say, yeah. we proclaim procre- 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 our love for the industry. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so much uh, love. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, anyway, so uh, so, this uh, I wanted to uh, to also just go into uh, to. Um, the fact that uh, you know speaking about mindset and uh, you know being a strong person and and, and these other things uh, you're also a fighter uh, in all this which i'm just very fascinated by um, as as well Uh, can you talk a little bit more about this you were supposed to have a fight like pretty much um, um, now more or less uh, but uh, obviously due to covid it was postponed talk a little bit about like your mentality there going into preparing for a fight
1: Sure. Well, first off, I'm I'm not sure if I can uh, say I'm a fighter yet. Uh, I don't want to sound too cocky here, put my name out there like I'm pretending I'm a this huge fighter. But yes, <laughs> uh, I um, I think it was last October when I, or September, something around that time. Um, I decided to uh, start boxing. A really good friend of mine, Marlin Vender, she was starting to fight with uh, Niklas Elfstedt. Um, yes. A ta- talented guy from Sweden, uh, here in Malta, who's yeah, um, also
0: a trainer as well.
1: Yeah, also your trainer, <laughs> yes. And so uh, just told me, like, you know what, I really think that you have this personnel that you would love to uh, box, you know, fight, to do something. And I just felt that there's not too much other things going on at the moment. So let's make this my project. And uh, I came to my first session and uh, I just felt like, oh, this is amazing. I just get to put all this bad energy or good energy somewhere. And I felt strong. And I said very early on that I need to have a goal. I can't just come here every week and uh, box for, you know, maintaining uh, my physics or thinking of bikini season next year. I want to fight if I'm going to box with you. So that was the setup goal, and uh, since then I've been fighting with Niklas, and uh, I was supposed to my first fight now in March, but as you said, it got postponed. Mm. So that was a huge setback.
0: Yeah, can can you you know, as a, you know, I've been fighting as well for some time, and I understand kind of the mental preparation going into uh, the fight as well. Can you can you talk a little bit about like, you know, it's the first time it's supposed to be your first fight now, obviously, and and um going into uh, getting closer and closer to the fight like how, how how do you how do you see it like mentally how is your mental state as you get closer and closer you get to know who your opponent is and all of a sudden there's a face there and like t- t- talk a little bit yeah. about the, that as well
1: i mean I, I don't really know what i've been if i have any concrete things that i've been thinking i just know that I mean, being a C- CCO for company or working with in industry that is very uncertain in so many levels. Um, there's so many changes all the time. We need to be innovative, and uh, we never really know what we're going to wake up to the next day, right? So this thing for me was the only thing that was certain in my life, where I knew what I had to do, and I got to know myself in a in a different way, where I maybe reached. You know, you reach a certain level in your career when you feel confident at some certain degree. And now I had to throw myself out there again, into the wild. And I never felt so scared and strong at the same time. So I think that mindset have been been very helpful towards my career as well, to any new things that I need to handle at work, but also in my private life. So... um It's been very helpful and i think that hopefully when the fight is gonna happen um it's gonna be another of those adrenaline endorphin kicks which gonna leave me okay what's next
0: yeah yeah it's it's such a good expression that you mentioned like uh, you've never been so scared but felt strong at the same time uh i i can i can absolutely relate to that uh, as well you know and and, uh um the, f- the feeling of like, oh, my God, what the hell is going to happen here? Uh, you know, your friends are going to be there watching you. And it's not, at least for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but at least for me, it's not so much about winning or losing. It's more about like you don't want to make a fool out of yourself in front of your friends, you know, <laughs> that at least that was what it was the, for me. Uh, and I just want to go out there, show that I can, that I can, because... You don't really know yourself until you are put in that situation and you know we all have this um we all have this like idea of who we are um and we all build up We masseuse our ego and we say you know i i I can do anything i put my mind to and i'll never give up and all those things but when you are in this, this like extreme stressful situation of a fight that's where you really get to know like the depth of yourself like what am i really made out of in that moment and and that's where i think a lot of the fear comes from because you don't want to like disappoint yourself in that moment but it's very hard to know how you will react before you're there you know and i think that's where yeah. a lot of the insecurities come from like leading up to a fight you know
1: yeah i mean i can just i have a perfect example of this um we had a sparring session and yeah. uh, I mean it was just not my day like nothing worked, the technique wasn't there like i felt tired like everything was just going wrong and after i think the like, around the fourth fourth or fifth round or something um i got so angry with myself like and I, when i walked out of the ring i literally had to go into the toilet and cry a bit and this is i mean this <laughs> is kind of you know embarrassing but i was so angry with myself i just couldn't stop crying And I came out, and the guys were like, Are you fine? Like, you know, don't worry about it. You know, it's going to be different waves of uh, when you feel you're on top and when you hit rock bottom, kind of. And uh, that was just a really good lesson because then I had to go home, I had to continue my work for the day. And then, okay, next day, let's recover and go again. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing, right? It's like, it's not like you can choose when you train. It's like, okay, today I feel great. Today I'm going to go train. And like, oh, I feel a bit tired today. I don't want to train. And that, that's, the, that's the hardest part, I felt at least, is like when you are just completely broken down, your body, like you have to go train again and give it everything. Like men- mentally, it's like the most draining part, I think, this mentally reload for the sessions. And I, I struggle a lot to kind of maintain my work. Uh, during the training camp because my mind was like all the time trying to recover for the next uh, session. Do you you feel that as well, that it's like hard to keep the balance between, you know, you have to manage people so you have to kind of focus on others, but but at the same time, you really have to focus on your own mental state during the fight?
1: Uh, Both yes and no. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, we are only two people here in Malta, right? So I don't have any direct contact uh, with the team here because they're based in India. And um mm. then uh, Frederick is in Stockholm. So I mean it is it is hard to keep the balance because also as you said, your mind is somewhere else. Um at least like the two weeks before we knew that the fight was gonna get cancelled. Mm. Um, my fight, my you know, the thoughts, everything is all over the place and don't uh, think you can think about every every step you take is yeah, working your jab or you're thinking about something <laughs> else um so it's it's hard to keep the balance but at the same time that is my hobby and work is work so you have to at least i i kind of know that
0: yeah yeah it's 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 it's, it's good and impressive that you managed to keep that uh, balance that was something that i definitely struggled with the, the during my last fight like two years ago uh it's the fact that i i just let the trading consume me you know uh, yeah. and um, that really affected my work um and that's also why it's hard me to commit to uh, another fight as well is because I, I i just have a hard time to keep that balance like training comes first and it's it's hard to do that in in our positions in the end of the day you know you have to i wish i could keep that balance you know because i i love the fighting it's amazing but um yeah but, um, it's something maybe i can learn from you
1: yeah or maybe i don't know like um, how serious i mean i i'm not gonna say i'm super serious about this fight and the whole process but Obviously, I'm also very good at keeping myself down and knowing that I'm humble, that this is my first fight. Um, I'm not that amazing yet. So I don't try to hype myself up. So I don't feel like I need to train three times per day. I don't know how, but I think that you were pretty hardcore when you
0: were. Yeah, It was, um, I mean, I did two sessions per day. So uh, Monday to Friday, two sessions per day, and then Saturday, one session. So there was nine like hardcore sessions a week. Um, And then it was, you know, I mean, I I would say like the the most interesting thing for me during that process was the fact that all these little things in life became so valuable. And uh, so for example, every night, you know, when I went to sleep, I mean, it was like, it was like the best feeling in the fucking world. One, one in swear words, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. Like I, I had the best sleeps of my life and it became like heaven to me, you know? And, and on the Saturday session, you know, I would have like a morning Saturday session. That was the last session of the week. And then the next session would be on the Monday morning. Uh, so that means that I have 48 hours of rest. And coming home from that Saturday session, after a lo- long week of work and after doing this Men- like, more so than physical, it's just the mental grueling sessions like um, sparring with people who are much better than you, you know, having Nicholas there who is just going to murder you every session and just going into that mentally reloading every time is so difficult. So like coming out of that on the Saturday, just mentally drained and going into the sofa at home was literally the same feeling as uh, traveling to the Bahamas or something and, you know the feeling when you step into the hotel and like oh my god this room is so nice and you lay down on the bed and you're like oh this is fantastic it's exactly the same feeling so like these little little things in life became uh became everything uh, And 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 i learned through that then that you know doing hard things so like like working hard pushing hard um a lot at least for me like a lot of the uh, uh a lot of the happiness that i get through my life is through doing those things because although i was also crying by the way during mm. this uh during this time and and uh, uh, and there was a lot of ups and downs mentally but looking back at it now it's one of the most valuable um times of my life that i ever had i just felt so alive for two and a half months uh, yeah you know it's yeah yeah it's I fantastic. Can really
1: see that. something you just said which i think that um gaming or my career within iGaming have helped me with regarding that you said that you it was mentally draining to spar with someone that you always felt maybe were better than you (laughs) right so i mean i've been sparring with a lot of girls um some are you know on a high level some uh, started maybe two years ago but everyone is has been you know a few steps better than me or hundreds but that is something in my career helped me with that realizing that know i don't i don't really care about if you're better than me or not i'm gonna see it as a learning curve and i can distance distance myself from knowing my own worth comparing to if they're better or not Mm. because in the beginning when i started obviously especially as a young woman in this industry i always felt that everybody knew so much more than me um i was scared that i was not if I, if I landed a new job, how are the people going to look at me? Are they going to look at me that she deserved her spot or she deserved to be invited to this dinner or just because she was invited because someone invited her? Do we need to test her? I always felt that I was insecure in the beginning. Yeah. But then after each step, that's something that I learned and gained confidence with that. Okay. I am good at what I'm doing and I am worthy of this. So regardless, of how amazing you are that's not going to affect me anymore
0: exactly and it's it's such a uh, good message in general i think uh, just working with people who are who are better than you is obviously uh, going to elevate uh, elevate yourself uh, you know and it's like cliche you know but it's very true but yeah. but you know on, on that topic yeah, they say you know you're um uh, you're a young you know aspiring professional woman in this uh, industry and it's very male dominated and um, uh, there's a lot of testosterone in this industry. It's, uh, it can be seen as sexist in many, many ways. Um, you know, coming into this industry and and, um, and building your career, uh, is this something you have been wrestling with, uh, this, um, this kind of culture in the industry? And have you seen this changing throughout the years? You know, what's your thoughts on diversity and these other things?
1: So, uh, yes, of course, I've seen it. I mean, that was my background. And that was, I mean, even though I always felt that I was treated amazingly by all the men beside me, I mean, you can't really escape from the fact that that's what it was. I mean, it was have, still very men's, men, on, you know, dominated. And um, I know a lot of women besides me that have been treated poorly and in a different manner. Even though I can't say that I always felt the same. And it has changed a lot. I mean it's just looking at the conferences, um, you know, naked girls walking around, um, comments and the more women taking higher positions. I mean a lot of things changed. I only have maybe two or three times when I really got pissed off um because of the way people were treating me because i believe because i was young and female and i can give them as example um and by the way two of them actually apologized uh, <laughs> at the later stage so there's no grudge uh, whatsoever now but i had a meeting with some uh, people from stockholm coming over to malta and um, when i left the room they said some really sexistic succic- comments about me and uh, some of the guys actually mentioned this to me when I came back into the room and I got, and I got so angry. And, um, so I just stood up. I said, thank you for the meeting. And I actually, I paid the bill for the restaurant and I said, I'm going to pay now. And I'm just going to let you know that I'm going to tell the CEO of the company that I'm not going to work with you. We're not going to take you on as a client. And then I left the room. (laughs) So it was kind of harsh. And, um, the other example is that I came into the room with the CEO of the company I was working for before. And uh, during the whole meeting, even if I was speaking, this certain person wouldn't even address me or look at me when I was speaking. He would only look at the CEO while actually I was talking. So, that was something that was kind of
0: Yeah, exactly. They 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 kind uh, of uh, yeah, exactly. They see you as uh, not relevant or whatever, and they only exactly. speak to the CEO type so of thing. Yeah, like the, mm-hmm. yeah, you see, the, the, these are these are the stories uh, that I think are really important to to lift up, you know, and and um uh, and uh, the 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 discussion on diversity and and um, equality and these type of things. I think uh, for me, it's really uh, important in in general just kind of hear these perspectives, you know, because that's where you know. We don't like uh, me as a as a guy in this industry. I don't have that perspective. You know, the only thing that I know is uh, I try to do my best to not see gender in general. Like, uh, if mm-hmm. you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, some there's there's like bad apples in both sides. Let's say, of course, um, of course. Uh, but uh, but lifting this perspective, because not not uh, you know th- there are like like I said th- th- the bad apples uh, let's say in a male dominated industry. Uh, on the on the male side, because it is a male-dominated industry, they will naturally have more power as well, uh, since it's a legacy male male-dominated uh, industry. And and um, uh, you know, so so it's kind of interesting to lift this uh, topic forward. And it seems to be uh, you know through it's been years now where uh, you know since the Me Too movement and before that where um, it's become more evident that this is not something that is just happening uh, once in a while, once in a blue moon kind of thing. It's like Almost all women have had these type of experiences. No, you know, in a, in a lesser or in a higher extent, and that is, I guess, where uh, where where we as men, we as guys, need to you know understand that, and not only you know, um, not only from ourselves to be aware that this is the case, but then also try to spot when others are doing something that is not correct either, and and be a part of of the change. You know, just like you stood up and walked ra- off the table. Uh, you know, others have a responsibility to do the same if they see or hear something like that, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, but I think also that a lot of men, and I usually like to take the men's side on different things when we speak about this certain topic as well, because I think that a lot of men get offended when we speak about, you know, it's a men's uh, dominated industry and that the women have been treated poorly. A lot of men always, you know, They're on their edges when this topic comes up. And I think it's important to know or always remember that I hope that no matter what gender you are, you should always get the position you deserve. And sometimes I also believe that women have a sense or they can intend to actually victimize themselves in a bit. And I think that is important that men usually have a different approach when they walk into a meeting or when they apply for a job, they have more they feel more confident or maybe they don't feel more confident, but they portray themselves to be more confident. And maybe that's why they end up getting to position because as women, we already walk into the meeting know or feeling that we don't tick off the boxes. Uh, Maybe we don't deserve to be here. So it's on an individual level to make sure that you feel confident enough to apply for the job or regardless of the situation, you can't always blame, you know, the men or the women, for certain things Um, but it's good as you said that if you see something that is not cool someone is saying something that they shouldn't have done or if you hear something behind someone's back you should be the person who stands up for these people and say you know yeah we're such an innovative industry we should be leading in any different questions any different topics right so that we actually lack in uh, that particular topic or i mean
0: yeah yeah exactly and, and it's it's such a good I, I think it's a great point you mentioned in general i L- L- this because th- there is um there's two ways to approach diversity or, 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 or true feminism let's say this and, and on one hand um you can approach it by we need to have exactly 50 50 uh men and women in the organization and we are going to make sure that we uh, higher fifty percent women fifty percent men to make sure that uh, we kind of force the um, um force the um uh, equality in, into the organization uh, i think uh, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or whatever, but I don't think that's the right approach um, I agree with you yeah i uh, the, the, the other way um, is basically that you if you are an organization and you want to have true diversity. Uh, and true equality within the organization, uh you should instead promote that uh you don't look at gender. Right. So if you are if you if you are in a hiring process and, and uh you are considering uh three you know four candidates and two of them are men, two of them are women um try to educate your employees to see beyond gender right mm. uh, yeah. and and um yeah uh, what what is your opinion on on that in general? Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I I would never, um, I would never mm. ever just hire. Let's say I'm gonna have, uh, I want to have twenty people in my company. I would never hire ten women and ten men just because of the cost. That's not diversity. Yeah, as you just said, diversity has nothing to do with gender in that sense. For me, it's more of a competence, skills, mindset, but. It, Obviously, when it comes down to what females have experienced in the past, um, that is a bit of a different story, obviously. And I know that there's a very trend. It's a big trend going on now on LinkedIn when a lot of females, uh, different industries, going out and mentioning that you know they don't want to be called female CEO or the female mm. uh, leader. They, they just want to be called leader, and which is I understand the whole debate. Um, but maybe they never. It's easy for someone to speak like that if they weren't in the same industry or haven't, you know, had the same experiences. <laughs>
0: uh, exactly, exactly. I, I think as well, uh, you know, when you when you try to force diversity, this uh, like yeah, we we have to hire 50% women and 50% men, and that's the way to show ourselves as a diverse organization. To me, that's that's patronizing to 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 women because that's like implying to say that if you don't force it it's never going to happen it's like to me you have already lost uh, that debate when you when you when you imp- implement that strategy it's like yes recognize that there is a problem in your organization uh, and recognize that there is a bias in your organization um but don't solve it by putting like a bandaid on the uh, on, on the wound uh, you know like solve it by like uh, actually solving the problem and um the the end goal should always be that uh, that everyone in the organization uh, should uh, should see diversity as something where the beyond the uh, beyond the sexes basically and um you know you'll have people in the organization who are never going to change they will always have a bias and you can force them to hire 50 percent men, 50 percent woman or you can put the band-aid on it but the problem is still there because the problem is that person is not uh, you know, so so if if you're an individual in an organization who, uh, who you know looks down on women, uh, yeah, then maybe you shouldn't be in that organization. You know, no. I mean, maybe maybe that is the issue. Uh, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't I don't think that any neither of us would like to be informed afterhand. Okay, so Pierre or you got this job just because we needed a man, but there was <laughs> yeah. actually another exactly. female another man that we, you know really wanted but we had to pick another female another man for this position i mean i would feel like okay thank you very yeah. much i mean that is yeah. the most uh, what a disgrace
0: yeah uh, exactly it's an insult you know yeah i how, how can recover
1: is. from that because you know then we were happy and believed that you were capable of something and uh, you got the chance and then you just know it's just because you're a man or a yeah. woman and they need diverse and accompaniment it can't be like that
0: no, so no. that's,
1: that's that is not a solution of the problem, I would say.
0: Yeah, high five to that. I'm on to that. Yeah, oh.
1: yeah, high five.
0: <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, so uh, coming to your own like leadership ethos and so forth. I mean, now now you're, you're, um, you're, you're a manager and, and you take care of, um, uh, you take care of your uh, your team in India and so on and so forth. Like, what's your um, what's your leadership style and leadership ethos and you know taking what you have learned and and all the things like uh, how do you approach leadership?
1: so for me leadership is my style i would say it's it's very easygoing. um i intend to always make sure or ask um everyone in the organization do you need help with something do i have one minute over time is valuable but that is what i can give to anyone in my team Uh, do we have a problem it's not your problem it's our problem um and just trying to be as helpful as possible and um, when i can offer my expertise in some areas i do that also making sure that everybody knows that i i am not an expert in every field i want all uh, all the employees and everyone around me knowing that we help each other and we help each other to grow and um, that i'm not above them in that sense we are equal to um, towards any task that we're facing,
0: yeah, that's if that uh, was
1: fluffy. I don't know if that was a bit fluffy, but
0: no, it's a modern way of seeing leadership, very, very I think. Very modern,
1: yeah. very flat, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and uh, so, here comes the follow up question though How do you think that your employees see you as a leader?
1: Good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, as you said before, you said uh, I can come across as a strong, in, I don't know, independent, cliché woman. Um, I don't see myself in that, in the same way. I, maybe I, yeah, maybe they look at me and I don't know if some, some of them are a bit, I wouldn't say scared of me, but maybe I come across to be a bit more rough than, I'm, than I am. But in general, I really believe that I think that I'm a down to earth and a very modern leader.
0: Yeah, I, think, I, I, I hope so. I'm gonna yeah, ask them. Yes, yeah, yeah, do. You know, I it's, need a, to. It's, a, yeah. Yeah. it's a healthy conversation to have with your employees, uh, I, I think, just uh, to have that uh, dialogue. And you know, when I asked the question, I realized that I don't ask my employees that question either, actually. Uh, so no. I I would, I would love to ask them as well, actually, just to understand kind of where you can improve as well. What do you do well? What do you don't do well? And these uh, and, um, and, and this things an important conversation to have, I think. And, you know, maybe not many managers there to ask that question to them, please.
1: I don't know. I think it's different levels. I mean, if you're, I don't know, CEO of a company, you have other people that handle different, you know, other sections and departments on a company. Um, as a manager, I think that, I mean, it's a big corporate company you usually have these quarterly meetings, right? Maybe mm-hmm. once per month, quarterly, once per year. So, yeah, I really need to do that.
0: Yeah. 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 Now I got a bit
1: stressed, like, oh.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let, let's, let's do it, both of us, and, and we'll, we'll have to follow up with the results from this conversation and see what we learned. <laughs>
1: yes, that would be really interesting.
0: <laughs> Maybe they're like, Pierre. Sorry, but this is not <laughs> This, is this not is working, not working out. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't think uh, so. I don't think so. I, I hope not. I
1: think you're, uh, you're probably
0: a sweet guy. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I th- to be honest with you, I mean, we have open conversation today. This, and I I, I, I I enjoy this a lot, actually. And I'll tell you an insecurity of mine, actually. I'll say that my biggest insecurity is probably my management skills, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't okay. see myself as a good leader. Because I'm very task-oriented.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: I'm, I'm not so people-oriented in my leadership style. Like when I, when we have these conversations, I'm, I'm very much into you as a person or whoever I speak to or social and these things. But in my work life, I feel very different. Like I feel very task-oriented. And sometimes I live in the future in my mind. So I tend to forget what my employees' concerns are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, And that's, I think, something that I need to improve, I think.
1: But in the organization, so um, I know. Do you and so what is the division like? Do you and Martin have different? Do you deal more with the the other place and Martin, or like how is your structure in the company?
0: Um, I mean, I'm the I'm the MD, so mm-hmm. uh, I I have ultimate responsibility okay. uh, for everything that happens in the organization. Um, but um, we create a structure now where uh, basically Garda, who is our head of operations. Um, she has management responsibility of most of the uh, most of the staff in the organization, and also new starters that come in. Um, he will have management responsibility. I used to have much more management responsibility because the organization was much flatter, so um, I would manage pretty much all stuff, uh, and that I realized is not what is good for me, or what is good for them, or what is good for the company because uh, again I'm, I'm much more business uh, development oriented my mind is elsewhere you know mm-hmm. and um, but I, i'd like to it's something i would like to become a lot better at as we go forward especially when the organization grows it's like I'm supposed to be the leader of the organization so I need to always be able to kind of have a good understanding of, of um, how the the employees are doing on an individual basis yeah that's something i need to improve
1: But according to me, now thank you for uh, mentioning it. And you just said something that is, I would say it is, for me, at least number one on my list. What defines uh, good leadership or management is recognizing your own flaws. And by you saying that, okay, so maybe you're more uh, task-oriented or maybe not always checking in on their needs, but you also then give the responsibility on some areas to someone else. So that is also looking after your employees, right? You're knowing what's best for you, you knowing what's best for the organization, and you're by then know what's best for them. So that is a very important (laughs) skill.
0: No. Thank you for turning this to something, something no. positive, Disa. Yeah. Yes, I'll, I'll take that with me. I, I would actually say that 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 would be my strength as a manager: the fact that I recognize that uh, I'm not uh, always the most hands-on manager, so I leave that responsibility to uh, to someone no. else. <laughs> no, no, but I'm no, no, uh, no, no, interested around again. Yeah, 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 no, but I I I mean it. It, it. it is something I think I agree with you in general that um, uh, not have not having the ego uh to get get in in into the way of how the situation actually is is super important skill i mean there are so many shitty managers who are who who who, who blames their employees for being shitty employees when in reality they are the shitty manager you know yeah. what i mean uh, and um and uh, the fact that you're that you're able to recognize your own weaknesses uh is just an absolutely pivotal skill and kind of um surpass your ego in some way yeah. uh, and uh, and they think so um absolutely that is something important and, and I, I don't know if you worked under bad management uh, uh, part of your career but uh, you know it's 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 it rips the soul out of you you know
1: yeah for sure i mean it, it can mm. really destroy your employees um mm. it's if if you're a manager or in any kind of working in a big organization we need to lead people towards a different directions and you're going to manage a team. You need to first of all recognize who are these people in my team? Um, like what, what differences are there between them and what skills do they have? And I think that bad management, uh, which maybe both of you and I have experienced in the past, we had managers who couldn't who let maybe everybody do follow the same path. And not when able to help them individually to grow. Hmm. Let's say that I am—that you're more task-oriented or more data-driven than I am. But I'm uh, amazing at—I don't know—conferences or more social than you are. We should not face the same task or the same kind of treatment. That's what I think. So good management will pick that up and let the great different employees do what they're actually best at. And that would also lead the organization to be flourishing when everybody feels comfortable and uh, knowing that they're actually valued for just their great skills.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way of, of defining it. Actually, it's a it's an interesting way of defining it. Um, yeah, it's a it's it's an never-ending story, I guess, to like keep improving and learning from your mistakes and so and so on and so forth. I think. Although I say, like, um, I, I I have bad confidence being a leader, especially a couple of years ago, I think, um, where I just, uh, I just wasn't there enough for my employees and uh, too much like micromanagement and these other things. But um, I hope that I can improve on that front. And uh, I think going forward, that is, uh, that is something that is like a big uh, thing for me that I want to uh, actually get to a point where I can, um, where I can be an inspiring leader rather than, just someone who, uh, who, 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 um, who doesn't think enough uh, about the stuff. So, yeah, let's see. Maybe we'll do this podcast in a, in a couple of years again and we can we yeah. can follow up and, and see how, where we are done. And I'm pretty um,
1: sure when uh, the people in your team going to watch this, they're probably going to come and give you a big hug and tell you, you know what, you're so wrong.
0: Well, this is a great test now, to see if anyone does that, because then I know that they have actually watched the podcast. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so if you're watching, you you know what you need to do. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you need to tell Pierre. He's amazing. Okay. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, A lot of subject today uh, as well, Lisa. It's uh, amazing how time flies when you're having a good time. and we're already an hour into this podcast, actually. But uh, we have another subject that I'd love to talk about uh, today as well that I actually wanted to start with today. But uh, we got yeah. into such an interesting conversation and that um, we just had to let it flow, uh, which is uh, gambling addiction. Yes. And um, you have, obviously, personal experience uh, with gambling addiction. Not you yourself, but uh, but the people in uh, that are close to you. Um, so I want to just uh, start, you know, you have quite unique experience with this. And working in the gaming industry, uh, we are somewhat exposed to it in the sense that we know it's there. And I think that there's a lot of stories that you hear, you know, uh, problematic gamblers going into customer support with like really horrendous stories. And you see it on the news and so on and so forth. But you have actually experienced this uh, yourself, like how, how has this helped shape your view of the industry? And can you talk a little bit more about your experience?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, as you said, I, I don't think that people really have really realize um, how bad it can be, and uh, why people, you know, log into the different support systems and um, leaving horrible comments about our industry because they have a completely different side of our industry than we do. And um, I mean, I hated. I gaming. I hated casino, and um, before yeah. I actually started to work for Evolution Gaming, I had, um, I has. I mean, I'm still kind of terrorized by some of certain memories. Um, but so someone in my you know close surrounding, um, used to play a lot of poker. That's how it all started. It was a lot of poker during the poker boom, um, when it was you know everybody was playing poker. And um, it was a lot of money going back and forth and I never really thought about it too much because it wasn't really a big thing or big deal by then until um, we lived under the same roof. And uh, it got so bad at some certain points where you know, the person would sneak away to gamble, um, not coming home during the nights, being at the casinos, gambling. Could be one month, you know, can you pay the rent because I have nothing on my account, like all these last minute resorts um, where probably the person tried to maybe lost a lot of money and then needed to borrow money to, you know, get back um, plus minus again. And uh, yeah, it got really bad at at some point. So... I didn't, I didn't like the people who worked in iGaming, I didn't understand their moral um, and I didn't understand how there could not be any kind of safety net around gambling. So when I came into, when I started Evolution Gaming, um, I felt like a hypocrite because I felt like I was contributing to an industry which I was not supporting. But then, after a while, I also realized that if you at least can try to be part of a solution, then you're trying to do something about the problem. There's going to be so many different addictions. I mean, we have, we can always compare it to alcohol. We can compare it to drugs, uh, prostitution, uh, gambling and all these taboo topics or things that are in our society, which is very negative, uh, reflected. But if you can be part of that and actually enhance on trying to help someone even from the other side or try to understand what they're going through and try to understand if you can do something i think that's a great then they're going to be great great bridge between the two
0: what an amazing way to see uh, this uh, issue you know because uh, it's 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 something many people in this industry wrestle with the fact that you know friends and family are asking them why do you work in this industry and i think that most people in the industry actually try to um, forget about the problem sometimes and they don't want to think about the uh, the dark side of the industry so to say um but what you are saying here is that you know you realize that rather than just pretending that the industry doesn't exist let's say Mm -hmm. that um, if you can be a part of the industry and to to part to take part in this industry and drive driving it for something that is negative to to be an actual change in the industry. you can be a part of of uh, making sure that you are um, a part of a force that are avoiding similar things to happen to others, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and and if you want to make real change in this world, sometimes you have to look at where the problems are. Uh, and uh, what the uh, in this case potentially a negative industry and trying to work from there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you will never win unless you just go go out of industry. Let's say that, you know people have a very negative idea of i gaming, and I understand that in, in a certain degree. But if you just leave bad comments on in customer support, saying you know I hate you and uh, yada yada, whatever it's gonna be you're never going to solve something because it's just going to get deleted. You're just going to, it's going to be nothing. So um, even just by having this podcast, your podcast, uh, my podcast, even though it's a lot of me people that probably watching it, I hope that it's going to reach a different crowd as well. At least my episodes when I'm doing Casino by Her is that I want anyone to be able to go in and kind of see the people behind or who's working within our industry and learn about different positions, um, what we're doing and realize we're not that bad and there are so many people that trying to make iGaming a better experience and entet- entertainment for the player, but also looking after their safety. Um, we're trying to build the safety net with. I mean, with the regulations. In Sweden, we have the Spell stop. there's a lot of few, few things that we have implemented over the years to show um, and to gain trust again from the players that we're actually trying to help them. So they're not going to end up in a situation where it's gone too far.
0: Hmm. And um, the way I see it as well is that there's a clear divide between kind of the old cowboy generation, if you want to call it, uh, in the gaming industry And the newer generation um, which is much more focused on sustainability and and making sure that the industry uh, is heading to a place where it doesn't cause harm to society right Mm -hmm. and um, just look at kindred uh, now who 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 have um, publicly stated that they are going to aim to eliminate harmful gambling completely from the organization then you know you can discuss if that's realistic or whatever but um, that force can only come from within the organizations from employees who genuinely uh want to bring the industry into a better uh position and and they you know more and more of the uh, of the younger especially uh, employees uh, are, are demanding that the organizations are taking responsibility uh, and um and and um, you know coming into an industry with that type of mindset that, you know, you you, you want to solve these very, like, serious issues uh, is, uh, is an absolute key to avoid, uh, like, similar situations that would happen to, uh, to the person in your life uh, from uh, ever happening again, you know? So I, I think that um, you have an absolutely, uh, like, inspirational view uh, on this coming from the background that you have, rather than looking at the industry with um, resentment and you know you'll never be able to uh, you never be able to shut this industry down you know uh, so you might as well try to uh, go into it to, to make to make it better so uh, so uh, all the kudos to you for you know being able to uh, reason uh, in 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 this way you know
1: thanks thank you a lot and yeah. uh, an example i mean if you work i used to work as a bartender uh, many years ago and uh, if you had a customer coming in or anyone at the nightclub that you were serving and you felt like, okay, it's my responsibility to make sure that this person does not drink the way, the person can't order one more cocktail because I feel that they're too intoxicated. I could stop them. Right. Uh, what we didn't have before in iGaming or online casino, someone can actually reach out. I know a lot of comp- companies have this policy that unless the player actually said like straight out, like I have a gambling addiction, They were not entitled to close the account even for like a shorter period of time. And I think that is horrible, obviously, because for someone with an addiction to actually commit or like say that, hi, I have an addiction that is, that is very hard. So um, even though everybody knew by these comments, you know, they said, I can't pay my rent. I am not going to have food um, or money for food by the end of the day. I mean, that is kind of very dark comments for someone to leave without saying that I have a really, really bad problem. Absolutely. So, so now, I mean, that's changed now. So and on the positive side, our industry is really becoming so much better. And uh, hopefully we will end up in a few years where people in society have uh, gained more trust for us again. Because we are amazing people in this industry and we really do good and we do contribute back to the societies so yeah
0: exactly Uh, and um so a final question today would be on just that subject you know we the past is the past and and and, you know we have learned a lot through that and, and uh and we clearly, the industry is heading towards a much brighter future when it comes to sustainability. It's, there is a consensus in the industry, even amongst the biggest players, especially amongst the biggest organization, that we have to solve player protection. And uh, this is something that is, there is a going in a lot of investment into Um there, there, there is a lot uh, that is happening on that front that maybe the general person on this read doesn't know about. A serious areas, uh, AML, anti-modeling, uh, learning checks, KYC, and also uh, AI tools being implemented to be able to predict uh, uh, predict uh, addictive behavior before it happens. Uh, and um, what would you say is, uh, as, a, as a final thing today? Um, are we at a point now in the industry uh, where we are taking full responsibility or what would you say is like um, from a legislative point of view um, how should the industry be regulated do you think sweden is getting right with deposit limits for example is there more that can be done Uh, what do you think
1: i mean i think we're on the right track um i mean it's a very it's a very tough question right and i don't really think that We've come up to, with a with a final great solution for everyone involved. I do believe it's great that we know what we have. Um, that you can actually, you know, disconnect and you're not going to get bombarded. Let's say that we are more unified. Uh, if I want to close my account at one casino, I don't want to get 10,000 other emails from other operators. So this is what we... During the regulation, Sweden at least, what we have been able to kind of work through is that you have that safety net, um, which we didn't have before. So that is one good thing. I am not really sure. I think that for me, um, without having a concrete answer to your question right now, exactly what we can do or what I believe gonna happen in the future is that. The more human, like the more open we are fronting the companies, the less we hide. Um, the more trust we're gonna gain. Um, like with everything online now, everything is online, and uh, we're building personas around affiliate websites. We're building personas on YouTube. We're fronting ourselves. We're speaking up, and we're meeting um, questions, etc. I think that is very key for our industry. If we want to be sustainable, that we mm-hmm. should open up and invite the other side.
0: Absolutely. What a great way to, uh, to end the podcast today. What do you say, Dissa?
1: I think so too. I hope so, yeah. at least.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think so as well. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you, you, you on today. Disa. Like I said, I'm, uh, I'm happy to, to know you. I, I, I'm happy to be a uh, be your friend. You're an amazing person. And um, uh, you have an absolutely incredible future uh, ahead of you. And, uh, you know, th- thank you as well. I mean, you're an inspiration to me as well. And and uh, I learned a lot from um, doing this podcast. So, um, uh, again, thank you so much for today. And and um, any closing thoughts from your end?
1: No, I, d- I just wanted to say uh, thank you as well. Um, I think that you're way too humble. And uh, I am very proud of your podcast. I'm very proud of where you Your journey so far and uh, I can't wait to see what holds the future for you too and uh, I'm happy to call you my friend as well now we finally got to speak more and uh, you're very intelligent and it's it's amazing (laughs) that people see that you know that you put yourself out there you should keep doing that believe
0: in i know i know we let's definitely yeah let's definitely talk let's continue the, the discussion and um hopefully i'll see you on the on the beach sooner with the training sessions with niklas as well yes that'll be the next hopefully. time i think yeah, yeah yeah i hope so too well okay. thank you so much for today disa and um also thanks to the sponsors pragmatic solutions kalamba games and uh To everyone else, happy Easter! To you, this a happy Easter. Beautiful eggs behind you as well that you have painted. I mean, makes me uh, feel like uh, you know getting some chocolate eggs or something. Yeah, (laughs) thank you you so much. Send one for
1: you. Happy Easter!
0: (laughs) Happy Easter! Thank you all so much. Take care and stay safe.
1: Stay safe.